What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, here with Alex Felice and Frank Scapatici and John Plumstead, who are virtual wholesalers and partners, and they're both Army vets. Uh, one of them is actually still active duty, and they started this business earlier this year. I remember jumping on a phone call with Frank and just talking to him a little bit on one of my intro calls and talking about what he was wanting to do, and then he actually came and spoke with our mastermind uh, month two months ago time goes way too fast but uh they've uh just exploded over the last year they're now in multiple markets they've done a ton of deals and so we wanted to bring them on the show and talk about what's possible uh with wholesaling or just with really anything you put your mind to if you're serious about it and that's the the short intro for this first recording in the new year that uh hashtag new year new me whatever um Anyway, yeah, uh, Alex is cringing if you're watching the if you're not watching the video because he loves everybody's New cringing. Year's new me, mm, some New Year's resolutions. You already failed already by the time this comes out. Anyway, uh... welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle 1, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic 1, Oscar Mike. Welcome, guys. Hey, what's up? Thanks for uh, having us on. Yeah, thanks. We're, we're excited for this. We appreciate it. I'm excited too. Uh, why don't you guys give a little intro to yourselves in, and then uh, to, I guess, yourselves together? I, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, so I'll just say like how we came together. So John and I were teammates. We played football together at West Point. Uh, we were both linebackers, actually. I think we were competing with each other to play, and then we ended up both being able to play. Thank God. So linebacker has three positions, or at least in our defense. We both got to play. Um, both went active duty army. We're both field artillery officers, or I was a field artillery officer. We moved different parts of the country. Um, but we both have been involved in real estate in some capacity over the last five years. John was doing multifamilies. I was doing some single families down in Texas. And, uh, I think in January plum, I think it was, was it you that called me or texted me, John? I don't even remember. Like, yeah, I, I can't I, remember. We, we, realized at some point that we were both interested in real estate. We we're both doing real estate, but not necessarily together. So maybe we should try to join forces and, uh, and put stuff together. And then at some point along the way, we decided, hey, instead of just looking at this like a supplementation to our retirement, what if we tried to do this with a little bit more focus and try to have a little bit of short-term success as well? And then over the last, uh, over the last year during 2020, kind of put it in overdrive and closed a bunch of deals and uh, ended up finishing, finishing the year really strong. Yeah. But we started just trying to acquire like five to 10 assets, you know, single family, small multifamily. And then we tried to work with agents and just struggled a little bit in terms of getting leads. And then we just did all the marketing in house. I think in February or March, we started doing direct marketing, text messaging primarily back then straight to sellers um, and single family. And then I think we quickly ended up with like 10 leads or 10 contracts. And then we were like, well, we can't buy them all. We haven't raised any private money yet. So let's start wholesaling. And that's like, we accidentally kind of started our company to be totally honest. It wasn't really on purpose. We just didn't want to throw the deals away. You know, what market are you guys out of? We started, we started in uh, clean Texas uh, outside of uh, Fort hood, uh, big military market there. And, 
then we tried uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, right outside Columbus, Georgia. But now we're in uh, like 12 to 15 different markets. We've got some test markets. Uh, and then, then we've got, you know, maybe eight markets that we feel really confident in. Uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, um, Savannah, Georgia, Charleston, uh, Cape Coral, Florida, Pensacola. We're doing well in all those markets. So, Yeah, Fayetteville too. Fayetteville is becoming my favorite. North Carolina. I'm looking for deals. Yeah, let's get on the list, man. Get, get on the buyer's list. Uh, I can't we'll, wait to make market. somebody who doesn't live in my market money. <laughs> uh, so what's the deal with um, buying assets though? Are you guys, do you guys, do you still have, do you still keep some of the deals? Yeah, we, yeah, do. we, we do. I think we're, we're going more towards that as, as well. I, I think um, we started identifying ourselves as wholesalers basically because we couldn't keep up with our deal flow on the back end. So we're like, Hey, the only way to keep our uh, front door open is to be able to wholesale on the back end. And we've since cleaned that up and we're probably about 50-50 now. We'll keep for ourselves and, and flip or hold on to it and then we'll wholesale the other 50%. But we're we're migrating towards trying to keep as much for ourselves as we can. It's just uh, some of them don't kind of fit our criteria. So are you, the ones you keep, are you keeping them uh, in all in every market? Are you focused on one market? Are you doing, do you have a strategy for it or is it just go by deal? I, I think it's... um. It, we're not holding on to many of them. We have a couple rentals, but for the most part, we're flipping the houses. Um, and that's oh. because when you operate in like 10 cities, it's owning single family rentals in 10 cities is just from a management perspective, just very difficult to keep up with it. Um, and honestly, having 10 contractors you can rely on is also a significant challenge. So what we've decided is when we are going to buy out of state, um, which is pretty much every house that we own, we're going to really try to not be the best flippers in a particular city, but buy things at a discount, you know, relying on our marketing to win on price so that the rehabs are kind of small, right? So our flip might look like we buy it at 180 grand, but five to 10 K worth of work, meaning like you probably could have sold it as it was, and then maybe sell it for 220, 230. So, and then make a profit that way. Um, so we might make lighter margins than, the people that do a huge value add flip, but I think we take on a little bit more less risk because we just try to win on price. Now that's, that's what we're good at. We're not good at um, rehabs really, I guess is what I should say. Yeah. So yeah, I'm the opposite. I'm really good at managing ground teams, systems. Well, not systems, but managing people, managing resources, understanding how to deploy resources, terrible at marketing. Don't want to do it. Hate it. Um, which is a big disadvantage actually right now in this part of the market cycle. Um, but that's why I asked. I was like, dude, if you guys are buying, oh, I bought one single family in Colleen and one single family in Fayetteville, and one single family in Benning. I'm like, that's a logistical nightmare for management. Um, but you're saying you do flips mostly around and that way you're just doing these light rehabs and you buy them at a discount. So even if the contractor's meh, it's hard to lose. Yeah. Well, it's funny enough. A lot of our contractors are vets. Um, we just completed a flip, the home at the market this morning, actually in Fayetteville. And uh, the GC is a uh, is a warrant officer, <laughs> so I don't know how he's actually um, who is it managing his army career, and he's doing like six flips. But he he did an amazing job. Like he exactly the price that he told us was going to be at. Home's in great condition. Our agent called me back, and she's like, I don't know how this contractor does it. I don't know how he manages his schedule, but he did an amazing job. So we still kind of rely on vets to do the work, which is kind of funny. Who is it here in town? My His name is Eli uh, Lopez, or Eli is uh, how he goes. Someone in your mastermind referenced him 
when I spoke and I was like, wow, this guy's must be the best marketing uh, GC out there. Cause like random people know who he is, but he does a good job man. he's, he's awesome. Yeah. He does good work. I know yeah. that's pretty that's cool. good. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So you mentioned at the beginning that you were originally starting finding deals direct to seller via text. And you kind of said at the time, so is that still your main marketing source or how are you sourcing? I mean, I can't imagine that you're personally texting, you know, I I know the text message platforms, but at this point you can't both be sitting at a computer and saying, all right, we got 10 markets and go. So how did that, what are you guys doing for marketing now? Yeah, it's evolved and it continues to evolve. One is uh, our primary means is uh, SMS or text message marketing, but we really kind of lump that together as just outbound marketing because the process, whether you're texting or cold calling um, or sending ringless voicemails is is very similar. Uh, But we've got five virtual assistants right now, uh, all out of the Philippines, uh, and we've got our process set up. So we use a couple different websites to manage uh, the leads coming in and then pushing all the text messages out, pushing ringless voicemails out, um, using speed dialers uh, to make as many phone calls as we can in an hour. Um, But we pull public records off PropStream for distressed sellers or tired landlords, put them in those different systems, try to contact as many people as possible, our our virtual assistants do. And then we look at a qualified lead as uh, someone who owns a home, uh, wants to sell their home, and is willing to entertain a below market offer. And if they say yes to those three questions, hey, it's a qualified lead, then we get our acquisitions manager uh, on the phone with them and try to get it closed. Sounds Sounds simpler than I'm sure it is, but that's, yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that because I mean, or you can make it very complicated um, for sure. I think there's a temptation, especially at the beginning to ask sellers a ton of questions up front. So you try to screen everything like and make it perfect. And then when the acquisitions manager gets the deal, they comp it and underwrite it and do cash flow analysis. And we just decided like the front door has got to be simple. Like if you want it to go fast, it needs to be extremely limited in terms of complexity. So we ask him three questions, then they're a qualified lead. Our acquisitions manager, when he underwrites a deal, he goes, what's the ARV? 70% of that minus what the seller is telling me the rehab value is. So if it's a $100,000 house, $70,000 minus the expected rehab, that's it. That's the max offer. Because if you want to do 20 deals, you know, or that person to have 20 phone calls with the seller, like, and you ask him to do all the cash flow analysis that your normal investor does, like, you're never going to scale. It's just, or maybe you could, but that's not how we do it. Yep. I mean, it sounds like that makes sense if you're doing smaller rehabs. I don't know. Uh, you know, you might get a little crazy if you're trying to do gut jobs, but you guys have found a niche in which you don't need to do that. Are you finding that the majority of these deals at that price point are like, B-class neighborhood single family homes or are you finding a lot of like retiring landlords or these homeowners? Like what's kind of your, is there a main spread that's working for you? We, we really like, uh, you know, B2C type assets. Uh, we're, we're always trying to cover our downside. So anything we look at, we're looking at, hey, if this goes sideways, can we hold it as a rent? So generally, you know, if, if it fits the 1% rule, it's probably going to fit our criteria depending on the market. You know, we're, you know, 120 to 180K ARV. We, we go higher and we go lower, but generally, you know, what you would think of for the 1% rules is the same type of stuff we're going after. Yeah, I think we cap or we were capping our max ARV at 250 for a while. Right now we're entering the North Austin area. So we have to increase that slightly because if we cap it at 250, then 
we're going to take a lot of houses out of the population, but traditionally we've been $250,000 and below. Dude, this is, um, this is a pretty good, this is a pretty standard system. I don't mean that like, I mean, this sounds like the way that most wholesalers do this. So how can somebody who, how can a troop who wants to make some extra money do this? One of our listeners, I want them to compete against you and get cheaper deals in Fable. Yeah, I like it. I think um, it. Uh, I I think it's it's simple, um, but difficult, right? I I think the process is really simple. You can go to propstream.com. You can load. You can download a tired landlord list. You can go to a texting platform like Lead Sherpa or Launch Control, and you can send out hundreds of texts in in a, a few minutes. Um, I think the tricky part, and uh, you know, the best recommendation I would tell. Uh, you know, this, this potential soldier is uh, make sure you get enough leads to start. A lot of people want to start with like a hundred leads or even 500 leads, but the way we do it, um, I wouldn't advise starting with less than like 10,000 leads. Even 10,000 is, is kind of a low number. Um, we, for a while, we're sending 10,000 text messages every single day. So to make this system work like this, you need a, a large, um, a large population to start with. Uh, and then I would say, a lot of people send one text message and they don't get a reply or they don't get the answer they want. And then they don't, they don't hit that data again. And uh, we keep, keep hitting the data over and over and over again, because our biggest cost isn't our text messages. It's uh, spending to get those records skip traced, which means getting their phone numbers. Right. So once we get that phone number, we need to make sure we keep following up, uh, following up with them. So best recommendation, get a big list, and then keep texting or cold calling or ringless voicemailing, whatever you want to do, but over and over and over again to find deals. My old sales manager used to tell me, once you get a lead, you call them every single day until they buy or die. I like it. That's <laughs> so, what we're yeah. trying to have. What's, um, what's an upfront cost for, for me to do something like this? I want to set up prop stream. I want to buy some lead lists. I want to buy 10,000. I want to buy 30,000 numbers. And I don't want to go in undercapitalized because if anybody, if you've heard any of my content before, I'll tell you, the number one reason businesses fail is undercapitalization. Don't go in undercapitalized. So what's my troop? I want to, I want somebody to do this. They want to set it up for say six months. They want to front load the cost and they're going to put the work in. Give me a roundabout number, something like that to set this up. I'd feel comfortable doing five grand. I mean, uh, that that's that's not super fat, right? You better have a little luck in there, but you can, you can definitely take some solid swings. Uh, you know, we're looking... Uh, depending, depending on how you're doing it, you're going to go 25 cents or so to get a record and skip trace it. Right. So if you want 25,000 people, that's generally going to be a thousand bucks, call it another 500 bucks a month, uh, kind of for the different platforms you're going to use. Um, you know, so I, I think 5,000, I'd feel real comfortable. I love that. $5,000, a troop, an E4, an E3, Maybe, maybe somebody younger than that can probably round up that kind of money. And that's a good way to say, okay, here's a starting point where you can, you can put this on your back and go off and do this sweat equity, essentially. So uh, to break that down for the troops, that's about 25% of one Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I like the aggressiveness. We the, should, we should start doing that. That's a rolling thing. Like, oh, we should measure everything by cost of a percentage of a Mustang. I like that. Okay. <laughs> percentage of Dodge Challenger. The, uh, <laughs> the, um, so like I was going to, you can probably do it cheaper than that, right? I think there's like a general rule. The less hustle you want to do, the more expensive lead generation is. Like the cheapest version of lead gen is 
driving around your neighborhood, driving for dollars, right? And like, that could be free. But like, if you, I think the most important thing, if you really want to get started is increasing your chances of success, right? Because if you close a deal, you're likely to recoup that $5,000 because most wholesalers on a good deal make a little bit more than that. And um, that there, I think you're batting like 75% chance you succeed. If you drive for dollars, it might take you two months to get a couple of leads, you know, especially if you're brand new. So I'd almost bet like spend a little bit of money. Don't go crazy and drop 10 grand on pay-per-click, but spend a little bit of cash to reduce your hustle. So you can do your W2 and just have some decent chance that you're going to win. That's, that's my tip. If, if you didn't have money, what it, you know, it, let's say someone out here is super excited. They want to hustle, but they have no, no money right now. What I would do is go to Zillow, go to for sale by owners and just call for sale by owners because we know they're, they're motivated. They, they might not take a below market offer, but we know they want to sell. So I would, you know, I would pick a day of the week, say it's, say it's going to be Tuesday night and I would call every for sale by owner in the area. And then I do the same thing on Craigslist. And then I do it every Tuesday forever. And I I'm hundred percent confident someone can eventually find a deal. Yeah. And another, another good one is uh, the for rent signs on Craigslist or, or some of those places, right? If you're hitting up landlords that have vacancies, um, my, my favorite uh, off market quote unquote person, like the person that I bought the most deals off of over the last like two or three months that I've only been doing direct to seller a little bit um, are the retiring landlords. Like the, you know, the, the lady, I just got a contract today and the lady's like husband died six years ago. I didn't sell the house cause I was sentimental and now it's sat vacant for six years and I'm done with it. I'm like, okay, um, yeah. thanks. So yeah. tired landlords is probably where we got, I'd say like more than half of our deals have probably come from tired landlords. That's also based off the markets we're in because military bases have a really high population of single family uh, rentals. So that's probably not a big coincidence, but there is a theme in the wholesaling, especially in the virtual wholesaling space that landlord cities are some of the best places to go for that particular reason. So a lot of people that do what we do, they target places like Memphis and Cleveland and places that are super high population uh, rental um, locations. And we started actually analyzing cities with that as one of our criteria points, number of rentals divided by total population, right? And if that number looks really good, we might go to that city, so. Yeah. All right, I got a question for you for the listeners. The part that nobody ever talks about once when you're when you're wholesaling right everybody talks about how to find a deal how to analyze a deal sometimes they even talk about how to find buyers right but uh somebody says yes right you've been calling and banging on doors and driving around for months and somebody says yes which is gonna scare the hell out of you at first um but but now what right like if you're wholesaling you're not you're not working with a real estate agent right you're not you're not going and saying hey uh here you go tell me what i need to do like when you buy a home and they hold your hand and sing kumbaya and walk you through everything so what would what what do you what can you walk me through like once the oh shit they said yes now what factor happens to like what what are you guys rolling out for your next few steps so i mean you want to get that contract signed as soon as possible so um if you don't have a purchase agreement that i would recommend being somewhat simple if your state doesn't have some crazy mandatory contract like get a one to two page purchase agreement from another credible wholesaler which is what we did a guy jordan another west point grad gave us our first contract and we, we're still using it or a form of it um get that thing signed um try to keep your earnest money um low um that's pretty simple <laughs> that's simple yeah. Make sure your contract is transparent. If you're not going to double close, meaning you're going to temporarily purchase the property and immediately resell it. If you're going to assign the contract, put that on the contract, make sure it says it's assignable. And then that way you're also not hiding the chicken on the seller. Like they should know 
that you're going to market that property and potentially assign it to another investor. We tell people, hey, we're either going to buy this ourselves or we're going to have a lender look at it or we're going to source it to one of our pool of investors or our buddies. Like, don't don't be dishonest with the seller. Like, they're going to find out, like when you ask to do a walkthrough of their home, that people besides you are going to be in their house, right? So one, like you should just be ethical all the time too. Like they're going to find that anyway, right? So just keep that in mind as you're going through the contracting process. Um, and then depending on the size of your operation, like you might pass that off to a dispositions person, or if you're a one-man show, it might be you. But I'd say the next morning, or if you can that day, like start marketing that property, you know, like get, like you want to market as fast as possible because once it's signed, you might only have 10 to 20 days to, to close, right? The, the timelines are quick. So it's all about getting that signature and getting it uh, into the marketing process as soon as possible. And, and then we've got a, we've got a cash buyers list and we've got a whole process for how to do it. Uh, but if I was bootstrapping, uh, we, we have the most luck probably from just posting deals in local uh, Facebook groups, like local off-market deal Facebook groups. We get as much uh, deal or as much buyers from there as all the data sources, all the emails, everything else you can imagine. We get just as much if not more from those Facebook groups. Yeah. I'll add something though to Dispo though. Um, I think a lot of wholesalers um, lose money. Ours included, I think the first seven months we existed because we would just like get something under contract. We'd send a text out to our cash buyers list, drop it in a couple of Facebook groups. And that was all we did. Right. So if we didn't get the right eyeballs on it, like we would have decent deals, like sometimes not sell them. We'd be like, what are we doing? You know? Um, so now we have like a step-by-step process. Like you send it to the list. Okay. You got three responses on the list. We want to get five. We want to have five people at our walkthroughs that then we pretty much close every time. Right. Then it's call agents, cold call agents in the area. The next stop step that you see in our CRM is um, send out an email. Then the next step is scrub bigger pockets for who's the most active in the area. Get the names of those people, call them. Like, so like our VAs like have like six steps that they exhaust to get five people at the walkthrough, right? And then once they get five qualified buyers, we'll stop because we don't want to create an unnecessarily, uh, like we don't want to have a bidding war just piss everybody off either. You know what I mean? Like we have customers. We don't want them to feel like we're jerking them around. So once we get five, we stop. Yeah, if you can get five people at a walkthrough, that seems, and and it's a deal. I mean, it seems like seems like four four more than you need, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Like we we pretty much close every time as long as the home is you're not flooding the day they show up or something crazy happens. Um, like the the other thing is is get an offer. Like we've mispriced a home because we didn't know something about the house that someone showed up and they saw. Like we had a chimney one time, we didn't see it, but there was a foundation issue with the chimney. It was like five to ten thousand dollar problem, right? So the buyers are like, guys, like this is an issue. And we had to renegotiate that price with the seller. You know, we still sold it to the person that showed up to the walkthrough, right? But we, you have to get their price. Don't let them leave without telling you what they'll pay for the home. Because then you're just renegotiating blind, right? You have to get mm-hmm. their number. Hey guys, before we dig into today's episode, I want to talk to you briefly about the website Carrot or InvestorCarrot.com, which is a website that generates other websites for you. So you can sign up for this, you generate a website, and they create high SEO quality websites for you. Now, yeah, they charge a little bit of fee per month, but what they also do is they produce content like blog posts for you and other stuff. They help you with web design, they help you with ranking on SEO, they help put out articles with you and they help get you to rank in Google. So if you're looking to generate leads where somebody can find you when they type in sell my house fast, 
Carrot does an incredible job. And I know a lot of wholesalers who do very, very good work and they all love this website. So I'm not going to do it justice. If I try to talk to you about it in, in super detail, I'm fairly new to it. I love it, love it, but I'm fairly new to it. But if you click the link that'll be in the description, you'll get a link to a free, they've got like a free webinar, free demo, whatever. You can check it out if you like it. Cool. If not, whatever. But this is the sponsor for today's episode is Carrot, which I am a big fan of. And have a great day. We're commencing now. That's, I was talking to somebody about that today. That's like, for those people who have never done sales as a job, like you guys are doing it now. But like for many people, they've never really done sales. And so they think sales is just slick talking and it's not. There's like real, there's like real things to know. And the first one is always ask for the sale. Always ask for the sale. If you're not going to look somebody in the eye and be like, give me your money. I want it. Give me that money. Right. Like you don't have a chance. Like buy this. I want you to buy this at this price. Give me, write a check. If you don't have the, if you can't look somebody in the eye and ask them for money, um, you got no chance of them jumping up and handing it to you. And the same goes for, oh, you don't want to buy it. How come? What would you pay? What would you pay right now? What would you write a check for right now? And so those are the same question, but on what you're saying on the both sides, like first ask for the sale. Second, when they say no, ask, ask for it again. Ask why not? What would you pay? Um, right. and so, exactly. um, yeah. I, and ask for I a like, referral. Yeah. If you don't want to buy it, who, so you know somebody that will. Yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. So no joke The the one that we should, the paperwork should be getting signed tomorrow. Gotta love uh, super tech savvy people who can't figure out how to, sign something and take a picture of it and send it back to you. So they have to go in person to your agent's office. Anyway, um, it literally was some guy told me, no, I don't want to sell that house. And I said, great. Do you have any other properties or know anyone else with any other properties? Actually, I just passed up this one for this price. And I was like, in my head, he's like, yeah, I have too much going on. And in my head, I'm like, why would you even think about passing up that price? No matter what you have going on, but I'm like, All right, okay. Um, the asking price was 12,000 in an area that you know, 80 ARV low ball. Um, I'm like, okay, I can dig that. So anyway, so we set up the appointment for two days later and like going under contract tomorrow. And it was literally just like, had I not thought to be like, Oh, any, any other properties total miss opportunity. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's we, awesome. we look at trying to standardize those things. If we think like if, if you're trying to sell one deal, some of those questions might not make a difference, but if, if you're going to have that conversation a hundred times, how, how much more, how many more sales are you going to do if you ask that question? Well, what is your offer? What is your price every single time? Or the same thing with the referral. If like you ask the price and then you say, okay, do you know anyone who would be interested? If we can, the way we look at our business, like if we can systematize that stuff over the course of a year, we're going to close another 10 deals, 20 deals, you know? Yeah. And it's also like wholesaling needs to be like a no BS numbers sales process because like there's no time to dilly dally right there's multiple offers going on all at once so it's like dude best and final what's your answer you know and um what i like to do right like so like the example i gave before where we have to renegotiate a property i, I talked to the person that ended up buying it i was like if we get this price down what price are you buying it at he actually said 100k on the dot i was like okay we renegotiated it i could have went back and, uh, and said 100k i got it but i was like hey 98k man i got it for you done so now I'm like, you're going to say yes, because now if you say no, you broke the social contract, right? <laughs> like I exerted effort on your behalf and I even sweetened it. He knows I cut a discount. So it's like, let's close, right? On to the next deal. So like I, you, I could mess with people on price, but I'm like, nah, dude, like, let's go. Like, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, something, I'm going to mess this story up because I haven't read it in a long time, but it's something like in the 70s or the 80s, 
some guy that owned a McDonald's franchise goes to the, goes to the head of McDonald's and says, Hey, you guys are missing. Like I can, I can bump up sales by like 20%. And I'm a, he tells them their plan. He's like, I bet you this will work, but if it works, I want like three more franchises. And so he goes at the, at the, at when people are ordering every time they're ordering, he, they, after they make their orders, they go, Hey, would you like to, okay, thank you. Would you like to supersize that? What's that mean? Well, for like a dollar more, you get, you know, whatever, much more, you get a bigger size, whatever that. And so you ask every single time, every single time, every single time, every single time. And then sure enough, like, I don't know, that's how it happened. Cause they're like, Oh, this really just, just ask and they'll, and they'll double their size or freaking add another 20 cents or, you know, it adds up on volume. So what you're saying, it's like, dude, ask for the sale, ask for the referral, ask for what they, you know, give you and then ask them again, buy, buy till they buy or die. <laughs> exactly. No doubt. <laughs> and they named a whole fucking movie supersize me after that just for that guy well they actually <laughs> they actually ended the supersize after that movie but <laughs> <laughs> well, they still ask if you'd like anything else or if you'd like fries or if you'd like a drink or whatever the concept remains right in every fast food joint and they've gotten me at least once <laughs> really really just once i said Maybe. at least <laughs> today <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. All right. So, um, how'd you guys do last year? Let's hear some of the, let's hear some of the success. I know, I know some of it, but, but, uh, you know, we've been talking about finding some deals and this, that, and the other, but like numbers. Yeah. So we, we did, um, just around 50 deals last year in 2020, which, uh, I think is pretty good, man. I, I feel really good about the volume we achieved. Um, I feel really good that we've been able to scale to have five, um, team members overseas. And we have two onshore employees um, that are awesome. One person, Carlo, running disposition, um, Adam, our acquisition manager. So like, I feel like we built a culture, we got a team, we've done a lot of volume. Now that's all the good stuff, right? And we're profitable. Like we, we made money, like we're, we're good. So that's all good stuff for a first year company. On the uh, negative side, I think we spent a ton of money, right? So we spent a lot of money on education, training, applications. We probably didn't get a ton of use of more lists and names than we probably needed, right? Like we spent a ton of money on data last year. And I think like I chalked that up to us um, being super hungry and a little liberal with like, oh, we'll just, while we have our W2 jobs, we'll drop a bunch of cash and not worry about it. And then 2021 will be productive. Um, so I think 2020 was a year of spending a lot of money to make money and um, learning a lot. And I think 2021 is like, our attitude is, okay, now we got to be really profitable and make, and like the margins got to be really good, like a, like a real company, you know? Um, so I feel really good about what we did. It was an awesome year, but I think we, uh, we definitely have room to improve like everybody else. Well, I'm going to break that down real quick and just point out that it was 50 deals, but you started in February. So that's 50 deals in less than 10 months. So five a month, except that you obviously didn't score five your first month. So, you know, as you ramp up, right. That's some pretty solid numbers for one year of doing wholesaling, right. But there's, there are, there are people out here on the podcast who would be happy to do five deals in a year. Uh, there are people who are happy with one deal in a year. Um, you know, I mean, even if you only made 5,000, a wholesale deal, right. Five deals in a year, hefty little bonus. So, so that's, so that's, yeah. that's some, some, some good stuff for a first year. So I, I love it. Yeah. You should yeah. reinvest. Any business should reinvest hundred percent of its funds first year. You shouldn't be taking any, I shouldn't say you shouldn't, but I mean, like, dude, if you guys are serious, you should be throwing, you should do exactly what you did. Every time I have money, I reinvest it in the business and you're new. So you're going to waste most of it because every new business is run by idiots. That's just the way it works. In a couple of years, you'll know what you're doing, but the opposite, the opposite is what most people run into. They go straight to stingy. 
they go straight to like, or God forbid, they got to live off the money. And so it's like, every time you get a deal now, it's like, dude, you can't, you can't throw enough money at the, at, so you've thrown a bunch of money that you, like you say, probably wasted, but also now, you know, not to throw money at that again. And so every time you do it, you get a little bit, you're like, okay, I, I waste money all the time. I'm, I throw money at things all the time. Like, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And then soon enough, you know, as you get better, you're like, don't waste money over there, but over here is pretty well spent. So I don't even consider that to be a negative. In fact, my guess is if I were, if I were just giving you blanket advice on how to start a business first three years, I'd say take no profit or take as little as you possibly can and reinvest a hundred percent of the money. Even if that means wasting a bunch of it. Yeah. I, I think we definitely live by that to a certain extent in year one. I think my wife would argue you though in year two. I think <laughs> I've got a wife and two kids. I gotta I, I'm I'm planning on taking home something this year, but I, I agree with the sentiment for sure. Yeah, well, like undercapitalization is the reason most businesses fail you. Most businesses fail in the first three years. So like year one, year two, I, I did small business underwriting for a long time. I've I've watched businesses go from an idea to successful and then to failure, the whole cycle. And I, I'll tell you what, I used to, I had a, I had a buddy who owned this business and he, he came out in the third year. He's like celebrating. He's like 96% of businesses fail in the first three years and we made it. And he was solved. He was insolvent 18 months later. So don't celebrate your damn wins. Don't get cocky. I mean, I don't know, you know, your business way better than I do. Obviously I only known about it for 20 minutes, but reinvesting is a good strategy. Taking money out is riskier. Even if you got a wife and kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you need liquidity. I hundred percent agree with that. You got to have months in the bank. So you like Plum would always say, Hey, uh, I'm cool with paying ourselves, but if I can't market something because we paid ourselves, like I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> so yeah. And this, that at least three or four times. And you're like in the hottest real estate market of probably our lifetime with the biggest tailwind. Like now is the time to get ahead of the future difficult times, yeah. not like you can win now and enjoy it, but it's like when things slow down, which would probably be a far away based on the way the, the macroeconomics are looking. But still, when things slow down, you don't want to be like, oh, look, well, that was, we had a good year or two. So the time to reinvest and build that thing into stability, in my opinion, is now. Yeah, we saw, I mean, to be honest, so going over like how the year went, we started out and it was like month one, we did less than a handful of deals. And the next month it was like, we did a full handful. And then we, we really got like September, October, we had like at one point in our CRM, we had like 20 something active contracts, like close to 30 con thing, homes under contract that hadn't been sold yet. And that was probably at our peak. Then later in the year, our um, text messaging platform had a delivery rate issue, right? Like our marketing, we weren't reaching as many eyeballs. So we had a dip and now we've kind of just come out of that dip. So like in one year, we've had like a lot of the ups and downs that a small business will go through. Um, so I think like the lesson we learned is you can succeed, but especially if you're in the marketing space, the conditions are going to change every quarter. Like you have to stay on top of it or else like next in March, iOS is going to restrict Facebook ads and basically everyone, how they collect data, like someone's going to struggle because of that. And then people that figure it out by April are probably going to create a competitive advantage. You know, like this stuff is always fluid. It never changes or it never stays the same. This is why I love my rentals. Like, I don't worry about none of this. I'm making money. <laughs> now, now, it's not as much as you guys. I don't make as much as you guys, but man, I do. Let me tell you how lazy I am. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs>
Anybody who follows Alex's Facebook feed would be like, no, no, he's super slammed, always talking shit to people online. Talking shit on Facebook is my full-time job. Real estate's like my <laughs> third job. Oh, man. All right. So let's see. I'm, hey, look, I just want to clarify, like, dude, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to share the wisdom and the experience that I've had dealing with small businesses. Um, I, obviously, you guys know how to run your business the best, you know, and you, and you, you sound like, you know, based on what you told me about the year one, it sounds like you're doing the right thing. So I'm just trying to give my unsolicited advice. That's all. No, we, we, we completely agree. I, I think, uh, you know, at our core is trying our best to invest like Warren Buffett and be a value investor, right? And it, he, he does different asset classes, right? Like he's in the stock market, but the bottom line is like, he's a very conservative investor looking for the long-term. And although wholesaling is a, is a short, short turnaround, we're trying to build a business with very sound fundamentals that, you know, have, uh, we, we've got a very conservative balance sheet. Uh, so, so we completely agree. Like definitely always cover your downside. If you cover your downside, then the upside will come in our opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said, like, Hey, you can spend, you can pay me all you want, but as soon as I can't afford to market a deal, I'm gonna be furious. And I have a very similar, like, like, Hey, look, uh, you know, when there's time for payouts, it's like, pay me out whatever you want. I don't care. But I, if I can't throw the money back into the, if I can't reinvest into an opportunity, then I don't, I don't care about what the money can buy. I only care if I can buy more, more chances to, to make money. So, um, but I understand, you know, we got responsibilities and families and, you know, got to buy a Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> so this is actually one of the reasons that I love the idea of service members getting into real estate is so, well, well, it's several things culturally, right? Like, obviously I'm not trying to sell everybody in the military, go be a house flipper or a wholesaler, but for one, people in the military are are used to, and this is going to sound like crappy, but you know, it, it, take it or leave it, right? And maybe not if you're in the Air Force, but people in the military are used to working ridiculous hours for the same pay. Whether you work five hours or you do a 24-hour duty shift, you're getting paid the same, right? And so psychologically, like I know plenty of service members who have no problem working at night or working on the weekend if it's something that they enjoy, right? Like working on a Saturday, no big deal because hey, you're used to working whatever, you're, you're still getting paid. I think that's a huge advantage because if you were getting paid and you were living off your your military salary and then all of a sudden you have a little bit of success with this, right? Like you don't need the money at all. So you can 100% reinvest every single freaking penny and you've got weekends or, you know, if you're not deployed or, or nights or whatever, where you're, you're okay with understanding the fact that like, I got to put in some work and not, and not to say that other people aren't, but like, I think you service members are uh, uniquely qualified to do uh, monotonous long hours without asking for a paycheck. And, uh, and then you don't need it because you're all your basic needs, your human needs of to survive are met. So then if you roll it back into this, by the time you get out, like, well, you'd yeah. be successful, right? I, I think the other reason I think veterans thrive in uh, off-market real estate in particular is um, mm-hmm. decisiveness. Like it's definitely, in my opinion, like not a, our space is not a place for someone that spends six hours in front of an Excel sheet analyzing each deal that goes across their table. Like I, I used to be that person and other wholesalers, I'm sure that were selling to me, were like, this guy is annoying as hell. Like he's never going to buy, right? Cause he's, that's who he is. And I think um, one day someone was like, dude, decisiveness. If something's good, like you need to let people know you're serious, right? And I think like, you know, that's how we underwrite conservative. But once the underwriting is done, be aggressive. And I think like a veteran's mentality fits that philosophy really, really well. So I think that's 
anyone out there that's listening, you know, that's active duty, be encouraged that you probably got a little bit more uh, chutzpah than the average person based off your background. So I actually agree with that. And I don't find that many of the soft skills that the military teaches translate into capitalist systems very well at all. Uh, but decisiveness is one of them. It's one of them that I'm really good at. And I did get it from the military. And that's, you know, I, you say chutzpah, like I don't consider myself to be that ambitious. I just got done saying how lazy I was, but when the deal comes along, I look at it in 10 seconds, like, yep, I'll buy that. I'll write a check. In fact, I'll commit like here, I'll, I'll give you the, here's $5,000 earnest money, no due diligence. Like I'm ready to go. So that's something that people go, Oh, Alex, how do you, I mean, I work with other veterans. They're not all, not everybody has decisiveness. So, um, you know, not everybody gets it like that, but I do think that's something I, that's definitely something I relate to. So I'm sure other people do too. Decisiveness is in and of itself a very, very valuable trait because even if you make bad decisions, you, and you're, if you, if your head's not completely up your ass, if you make a bad decision, you're like, oh, I won't do that twice next time, but I can still make the decision fast. There's mad value in being able to make a decision fast and committing to it. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. All right. We got a couple of questions we ask every guest or in this case guests, right? Uh, so the first one is if an E1, E2, right? A young service member was to walk up to you asking you for advice, real estate, life, whatever. What's the one thing you would tell them? Hmm. That's, a, that's a tough question. Um, I would say read more. I wish I, if I had to go back 10 years ago, I would say every morning, read a book. Sounds like really lame and very cliche, but I didn't do it. So I, uh, I've, I've recently picked up the habits that I think lead to success. And I think Plum was probably ahead of me on that stuff. But I, I wish I was a little bit more disciplined with my daily routine when I was like 25, um, as opposed to waiting till I was 30. So I mean, like if you're 22 years old, man, wake up before PT, spend some time on yourself. That's it. That simple. I, uh, I think my gut reaction was to try to tell them how important your health is. Uh, but Thank you, my average E1 or E2. I know they wouldn't listen to uh, taking care of their, their body and sleeping well and, you know, not putting nicotine in their body. So instead of giving that piece of advice, I would say uh, pick, pick a number, something around 20% um, or greater uh, and save that of every paycheck. And if you can save 20% plus of every paycheck, even if you're not sure what to do with it today, you're probably going to end up being good. Those are both really actually good pieces of advice. Saving 20% of your income, most troops won't do it. They're listening to that me. They're listening to you. They're like, these fucking guys are idiots. I'm not doing that. And it'll be to their own detriment because that's really good advice. The reading one, dude, reading's the most valuable thing I've ever done for myself by a long shot. Yeah. So, and uh, it's very hard to get to people to read, especially difficult books. So that's good advice. Uh, both of those things are difficult to do. And that's how I know that they're, that's how you can tell if, if advice is good. Which is funny because they're like the two simplest things to do at the same time. Like literally just set up an allotment for 20% and listen to Audible on your drive to work. But simple, yep. difficult. All your funny how things work like that. It's like running. All your running is an easy thing. Like every good idea I feel like I ever have that's related to our business is like either during or right after I read a book. Like it's... When I don't read, like I don't come up with ideas and I feel like an idiot, like just do it. Yeah. There's a P yeah. Like I, I think about this a lot. Like people's content out is limited by their content in. So like you're, how can you have good ideas if you're not learning anything new? Like that machine needs that machine up here needs fuel. Just like your body does. You're like, dude, I can't go run unless I eat my oatmeal. 
right? <laughs> I can't re I can't run unless I put fuel in my body. Well, how am I going to ex export something smart unless I put something freaking smart in my brain? Yeah. Exactly. You want to up the ante one, challenge yourself, challenge your beliefs, read things you don't already know or believe in. Okay. Or just go to Alex and ask him what his reading list is because it's a whole bunch of things you've never heard of, but it'll make you smarter. I'll put the hurting on your, I'll put the intellectual pain on you. Come read my list. <laughs> All right. So question number two, right? What's one resource, a book, course, website, whatever that you would recommend to anybody looking to get into real estate investing. And uh, since it was mainly the topic, uh, maybe specifically wholesaling. Hmm. doesn't have to be, I suppose. I, don't I my, my answer is a super, super softball, but like, the, the fact that someone can listen to podcasts like this or watch your guys' YouTube videos or other uh, content producers on YouTube, like the fact that you can get all that stuff for free and then on YouTube and on podcasts, you can listen to double time. And, and you know, th this is maybe an extenuation or extension from our, our last question, but like you can, it's so easy to absorb really, really good content in today's day and age. I don't think you have much of an excuse not to do it, whether it's YouTube or Audible or books or whatever, just get after real estate content. If that's what you want to do, get obsessed with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think from a content perspective, if, if someone wanted me to give them an exact blueprint, I'd say, Hey, for three months, listen to bigger pockets. Once you figure out what you want to do, if you do decide it's wholesaling, go to real estate disruptors. I think Steve Trang has the best uh, wholesaling podcast um, that's out there. Um, and a lot of people do think that, but like, I think it, it is the best, like he has the best guests. He has some legit questions, how they run their business. It's really good. And he actually, he actually operates. He actually runs a wholesaling company. He's not like a educator that doesn't do any actual real estate. So one, if that, that's your trajectory, do that. One word of caution I would give people though, uh, is I like Facebook for a lot of things, but a lot of the real estate Facebook groups, I think are, are I don't want to say they're really bad, but there's a lot of bad advice and there's a lot of scammers and there's a lot of people trying to take your money for no reason. So if you're trying to get advice in a Facebook group, especially a non-paid Facebook group or a group that's not, not regulated very well, uh, be very careful um, in those Facebook groups out there. Yeah, there's a lot of advice given by people who have got said advice from hearing about it, not doing yes. it. Uh, don't even get me started. There, there's, I've been complaining all week. There's so many people trying to teach people how to do creative financing and pay over ARV for homes because they'll cash flow. And I think it's the, the stupidest trend in real estate investing. Like it's a guy, there's a guy who's source of interest. Yeah. There's a guy who wrote a book for bigger pockets that says that bullshit. That's some stupid fucking advice. You know, God forbid someone stops paying rent and the market starts receding a little bit. It's like, well, then what, you know, you can't scale a business like that. Like if you own a hundred houses underwater, I don't care what your cash flow is like. That doesn't make you an investor. That just makes you, that just makes you frivolous with your money. That's right. People get pissed with us sometimes because uh, we talk about how simple it is, but also how hard it is, right? We're like, you have to get a bunch of leads and you got to work those leads. And you know how you shortcut the process? You just work harder, right? Like this, this idea, all these people posting on Facebook, like, hey, who has leads they can't work because we, we can work these leads that have no equity. Like that's a strategy. And if you want to go with that strategy, go for it. But I, I don't recommend paying over uh, ARV ever. I love it. Look, we're all investors. No, hang on. I have to say this. We're all investors here. Like you said, Warren Buffett, value add investor. Like the, the whole point of this is to get a freaking deal. I don't understand investors, so-called investors who pay retail for houses. 
That's the craziest thing. It's not even investing. It's like, dude, you're just parking. Do you have so much capital cash that you need to just park it somewhere? I get that. Like there's Chinese buyers and there's California buyers that buy out of markets. And they're like, look, I have 400, 500 grand. I have $6 million. I have to stick it into a stable currency. I have to stick it into a, um, an appreciating market and I need it in cash. And I just need to spend the cash because I don't know what else to do with it. Go buy houses, pay cash. Even if you pay retail, you're in good shape. But if you're an investor who's trying to get himself started and you want to buy deals, you have to buy deals. Buying retail makes you a piss poor investor on your best day. Buying properties that you pay over ARV just makes you a flat out sucker. Well, it's the difference. Like there, there's an argument. You could be an investor. And if you bought a house in Austin, like subject to, and that was five years ago and it was at a normal, okay interest rate. Yeah. You're, and you sold it now, your IRR would be probably pretty good. Right. So like, that's, but you that's, just have to, no, you're, you're, you're speculating. That is, speculating. that only works. Yeah, yeah. That works in hindsight. That doesn't work in the future going right. forward. You just have to admit to yourself, I'm speculating right now. I could lose money and you can't scale a company like that. You can be an individual investor and do that maybe, but can you hire employees underneath that operation and actually run a company? No, that's, I don't, I don't see it. So there's cheaper and easy, like real estate is a cat, uh, uh, is a debt, generally equity and tax heavy industry. Like it is a, it's highly liquid. Like it is not an efficient use of, it's not an easy use of capital. Like if you want to make easy money and you want to do it speculatively, go to the stock market. You'll make a lot of money for a lot less headache. If you want to um, use, if you want to find deals and use debt to leverage the little resources you have, real estate's a really good avenue, but you have to get deals. Yeah, Buying over ARV is, yeah, you're a sucker straight up. There's no excuse for that. You don't have to convince us, man. We're, we're on the track. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's somebody listening that I'm talking about. I want them to know. <laughs> they, they probably stopped listening five minutes ago. Yeah, like, okay, Alex, <laughs> <I> mean, yes. <laughs> All right. So where can people get a hold of you guys? You got a plum. I'm terrible at doing promos. Yeah, here's the shout out plug that you're allowed to yeah, give. No, I, I appreciate it. Uh, we, we've got a... Uh, Facebook group called Virtual Real Estate Investing, where we we go live quite often. And then our company is Grayline Investing. So if you want to hit us on face up on Facebook or graylineinvesting.com, hit us up. Um, we'd love, love Alex, we'd love to get you on a cash buyers list or anyone else that, out there looking for deals in a specific market. Um, you know, or or virtually we'd love to get you on our list uh, and get you plugged in. Um, but I'm looking. I'll uh, I'll it's I'll... graylineinvestments.com plum investments. What I say? You did investing. <laughs> That's not our company name. <laughs> Great right, right after the hey, hey, John, you do this. I'm bad at this. <laughs> Clearly, we're both bad. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter if they find your website as long as they get your email, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. I right, um. Hey. Wait, is Carlo your dispositions dispositions manager? Yeah. Yeah. I have an investment for uh, uh, email from you guys from Grayline Investments. All right. Really? I'm on Get your that list. offer in, baby. Get it wow. in. He bought a house and, and he didn't buy. Yeah. I, it wasn't even I a deal. Were, I thought you like, were decisive. It's not even a deal. It's just like an advertisement. You guys. That's why I went to spam. <laughs> hey, you, you got a market, man. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. All right, Send me, uh, hey, me in your list. So, real quick, one last question for you guys. Um, so, I, I I have a link for PropStream, and I'm gonna throw it down in the show notes. But in case people are wondering, what platform do you use for SMS, and do you have a, a CRM that you recommend? I, I use Ari Simply, but everybody seems to have their own. 
Yeah, so I think I think we we've realized it's kind of a moving target in this industry. Um, it's like uh, a lot of these companies are are good one day and not necessarily great the other day. So we're moving. I, I saw your article the other day and in, in, uh, you talked about Monday.com. We use Monday.com as a CRM and project management board. We, we really like it. Uh, like definitely click that uh, that PropStream link. We could not run our business without PropStream. We love that. Um, on texting, uh, we've had a lot of success with Lead Sherpa. We're also texting uh, on uh, launch control right now. Uh, both of those are, are doing really well. Um, and then, uh, what's is it? REI Reply. We don't use REI Reply, but I've heard a lot of people having success with it. So, yeah, that's a new newcomer on the block. I've heard good things. I use Launch Control. Yeah, yeah. We we're just checking out Launch Control, and, and they seem seem great so far. So, and then we use we use Mojo Dialer. Um, we've used Phone Burner and Mojo Dialer for for the three way calling, and we use Drop Cowboy for sending uh, ringless voicemails. So. But re realize with all those companies, we don't own any of those companies and we use them, but but we come and go because sometimes those companies are awesome and sometimes they're not awesome. So Yeah, the whole the whole text blasting uh, world of real estate is still fairly new and there's all kinds of, you know, changing restrictions, even launch control, like the same template I used three weeks ago. Now they're like, oh, we've also omitted this word too. So some of, yeah. some of the wording on these texts to get them to actually go through is pretty... Uh, it's also like when someone starts to dominate the space, like it's almost like their odds of getting the delivery rate decreasing starts to go up, you know? So it's like, inevitably, like there's going to be this like leapfrogging in the SMS space until something stabilizes, you know? So I don't, I think most people who stick around for five years are going to change uh, vendors like two to three times minimum. So. Yeah. Right on. Well, guys, we really appreciate it. This has been a good, uh, good episode. Lots of fun. Uh, lots of good uh, information and actionable stuff that people can use, which is exactly what we love. So thank you very, very, very much for joining us today. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of fun. Thanks for letting us, letting us come on and talking with us. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.